0: good afternoon everyone this is uh chris major with lois law firm uh thanks for joining us for the september uh major monday's webinar we're going to be talking about how to leverage a third-party action in a workers compensation claim today um as always this is a live question and answer session so feel free to post your questions uh and at the end of them we'll pop them open in the chat so let's just start off with real basics apologize uh apologies to anyone who uh is a regular viewer of this webinar uh this this slide might be a little uh little basic but uh so what is a third party action and the fundamental question we always ask is can someone other than the employer be blamed for the claimant's injuries common example slip trip and fall motor vehicle accident construction and labor law products liability professional malpractice labor laws in new york obviously. Uh, Both New York and New Jersey do give the claimant uh, the opportunity to pursue both a civil case and a workers' compensation claim, uh, and they both permit carrier reimbursement, subrogation, and offset rights. So I wanted to talk about the uses of uh, third-party actions beyond just reimbursement, because as we go along here, we're discovering there are more and more ways to uh, implement this and leverage it. So, Section 292 and Section 40F in New Jersey is the first thing we're going to talk about. Uh, civil action discovery and investigation is the second. How to use it for settlement leverage, third, and minimizing exposure, fourth. All right. So, the subrogation notice, and you're going to see why I have this as leverage in a moment. So, if the claimant fails to prosecute a third-party action, Section 292 in New York and 40F in New Jersey give the employer or carrier a right to do so. Uh, You might hear this referred to uh, in the subrogation world as the one-year letter. Uh, New York has a separate timeline, six months from the awarding of compensation or one year from the date of loss, whichever is sooner. It tends to be six months from the awarding of compensation, which uh, the court has defined as the first payment of benefits, so basically run it from your Shroy IP. Um, But a claimant gets 30 days in New York after we serve written demand, 10 days in New Jersey after we serve written demand. Now, why is this almost always a good idea to serve, even if you may not intend on actually prosecuting the case? Well, we've talked about this in prior webinars, but you might be able to light a fire under the claimant uh, or petitioner and get them to file their own suit. That's one benefit. The other one is leverage. So um, just a hypothetical scenario here. Say you have an attorney, third-party attorney, uh, demanding that you settle for a third, a third, a third. Uh, And your lien pretty much entitles you to the entirety of the third-party settlement after costs and fees. And then they start with their hemming and hawing and their, you know, uh, I'm going to abandon the case. I didn't prosecute this case for you. You guys are being greedy pigs, yada, yada, yada. Uh, You know, there are issues with my, uh, there's issues with liability and this case is going to go to trial and I'm going to lose and I'll never see a dime. And, you know, all of the threats in the world, all of the puffery. Uh, So here's what's great about it uh the last time that happened i said very frankly to the third party attorney okay drop it uh i served the section 292 notice go ahead and drop it i'm sure they'll be ha- the third party defense carrier will be happy to pay me two-thirds of my lien then pay you a hundred thousand dollars i i mean either way i'm getting what i asked for here so it's great great leverage to say we have the opportunity to step in and compromise this case directly give us our demand or we'll just go get it ourselves and all of a sudden their feet are to a fire and you're going to get a more favorable settlement so i uh i absolutely love weaponizing these things even if you don't intend to actually file the case it's always good to preserve your rights uh and you can definitely use it to strong-arm third-party attorneys so just keep that one in mind all right so we talked about or i mentioned that we would be talking about uh civil action case dockets and uh sort of doing some investigation. So I'm um, throwing out here my, my go-tos in New York and New Jersey. Many of you are probably already familiar with these. Uh, this is NICEF, the New York uh, State Courts Electronic Filing System. Uh, E-Courts, which is like a more basic version of NICEF, but uh, you can do more expansive searches on it. Um, <clears throat> E-Courts in New Jersey, the public access system. Uh, And then PACER, public access to court electronic records. Uh, You can see that's a uscourts.gov website. That's for federal actions. So uh, if you have, you know, defendants and plaintiffs from uh, diverse states, New York defendant versus, you know, New Jersey plaintiff, um, and, you know, the amount in controversy is high, you might want to check a federal court docket, uh, especially if, you know, the parties are from all different areas. So Sometimes it might end up in federal court instead of uh, one of the state courts. So it's always worth it to check it out, particularly in a high exposure case. All right, so sometimes we have to get creative with our searches here. Uh, and what do I mean by that? I said uh, Web Civil Supreme e courts was a little more uh, expansive, less restrictive than NICEF. Um, sometimes these claimants go by different names. Sometimes they go by two names. Some, if you go and you look at the C3, they might put their first and middle name, and the case might be filed in that name. Their name might be hyphenated. Um, so generally what I do is start with Web Civil Supreme eCourts in New York, and I just do the first initial of their first name and then the last name, and then I skip to the very last page because they're sorted in order of filing. Uh, and then generally, you, you know, you can find something if it exists. Uh, I'll also do that search on NICEF if I want to look at the documents in the docket. Uh, If it was electronically filed, but just to be safe, I'll check there as well. But you might have to get a little creative with your searches. If you search John Smith and, you know, well, you're going to get something for John Smith. But, um, you know, if you don't get the one you're looking for, consider looking at the C3 or the FROI or uh, any of the documents in the board file or any of the documents in your New Jersey case to see if maybe there's another name they use. Um, So these dockets can tell you whether a third-party action has been filed and which defendants and carriers to serve with your lien notice. Remember in New Jersey, Section 40D, we actually have to serve the third-party defendants or their insurance carrier, so keep that in mind. Uh, The civil action case dockets are a good place to get those. Uh, Sometimes, and this is what I love about these, discovery demands and responses and deposition transcripts will be filed uh, in support of maybe a motion to compel discovery or a motion for summary judgment. These can be an absolute goldmine. Um, I can't tell you the number of times that we've compared claimants' testimony from a hearing uh, on Section 114A fraud with uh, claimants' testimony in a civil action. And all of a sudden, in the civil action, oh, yeah, I was working for this landscaping company from this time to this time. Meanwhile, they're out on a uh, total disability and collecting indemnity and not reporting that work in the comp claim. You can find um, prior accidents that don't always show up on an ISO report. Um, or the docket can be used to elaborate upon an ISO match. You might see that there was an accident back in 2013. Search the electronic dockets. If the documents were electronically filed, you might be able to do some investigation here. Uh, We had a case just pop up two weeks ago that was established for uh, multiple, multiple injury sites. I think we might be up to 10 or 12 of them. Um, And it turns out that the uh, claimant had sued the city of New York. And you know what you have to file when you sue the city of New York? A notice of claim and you know what you have to put in there all of your injuries and uh shockingly uh, years ago they had filed the case for all of the exact same injury sites with a different data loss so you can bet that's headed for a fraud trial these can be really really useful so i recommend doing a search even as just part of your ordinary defense efforts all right so i sort of touched on this already treating providers per the medical demands and testimony sometimes you can see um, in every civil action where there's a deposition, they are going to ask the claimant about past and current treatment. Uh, sometimes you'll find providers that you were unaware of. Um, prior and current work, we talked about that. Uh, Pre existing injuries and conditions, inconsistent allegations uh, saying, you know, oh, I was confined to a hospital, bell, hospital bed in the Bill of Particulars. Uh, and then in the workers' compensation claim saying, oh, no, I was totally fine. Um, and then settlement without consent uh, is obviously a huge one in new york because if that happens they've waived the right to future benefits now settlement is a term that's used loosely i don't want to belabor this point um but every court in new york has been very very clear that you cannot compromise or discontinue a third-party action if there's a workers compensation case associated with it without the consent of the carrier if there's a stipulation of discontinuance filed Uh, and you never consented to it, especially if it's with prejudice, that's a problem because if if they didn't recover, you know, the maximum under the policy limits uh, and your lien is massive and you don't have a chance to stick your nose in and maybe prosecute the case on your own or intervene to protect your lien, they've just gotten rid of your cause of action against those defendants. That is a compromise that requires your consent. So keep that in mind. I use the term settlement Loosely, it's basically any discontinuance of a third party action. You can find these in the electronic dockets. All right, settlement and exposure leverage. So, reimbursement and offset rights can drive down the value of a case drastically. Even permanency might not be worth what an adversary thinks. Um, You know, there might be a demand in New Jersey for, uh, you know, 25% of partial total. uh, But if you're carrying a third party settlement credit forward, it's almost like taking credit for a prior permanency classification uh, in a New Jersey workers' comp case. It's basically a flat deduction to the award based on the petitioner's net from the third-party settlement. Boom! That that award is not worth what they thought it was going to be. Same thing with an LWEC classification. If you if you have to pay you know six hundred a week and all of a sudden it's two hundred a week, well, that's a different story. So you can really look at uh, these future offset rights to drive down the value of a case. And we strongly recommend arguing that. Reducing benefits to a one-third rate or taking a complete holiday, as they say, uh, is a great way to bring the claimant to the table. I mean, if, if they're dependent on these indemnity checks, and now it's at uh, one-third of what it used to be, that's a great time to pick up the phone and say, hey, you could continue getting this in drips and drabs, or we'll give you $25,000 to go away. Um, it's absolute great leverage, and I love doing it. Um, less treatment tends to occur once the third- party action settles because number one they're not trying to beef up their case anymore uh, and number two in both New York and New Jersey they're gonna they're gonna be responsible for payment of the bills um, so treatment will go down if the petitioner or claimant has a net third party settlement generally as well and then finally the global settlement striking while the iron is hot while minimizing exposure if they're thinking about wrapping up the case that's a great time again to pick up the phone and try and get that full and final section 32 uh and you can also ballpark future medical treatment as a way of driving down the value of the case and say well you're not getting surgery you've just been getting pt future medical is worth nothing and even if it was we have an offset against it so keep that in mind the 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 third party settlements are a great great way to reduce your exposure both in permanency and future medical all right very basic lien waiver scenario here uh, i'll go right through this claimant's demand is a hundred thousand we have fifty thousand dollars in reimbursement coming from a three hundred thousand dollar third party settlement uh we can usually pay fifty thousand in fresh money and then waive our reimbursement uh and then there the claimant gets their hundred thousand dollar demand and in reality we've only paid an additional fifty thousand dollars um In New York, you want to make sure your consent agreement holds the carrier harmless for late payment because you are not in control of when third-party counsel releases those funds from escrow. Uh, And as you know, if you don't issue payment of an award within 10 days of the filing of the decision, uh, you can get slapped with a 20% penalty. So it's always good to make sure that the consent agreement specifies you'll be held harmless. You can't use the word harmless in 32 documents, but um, you can word your way around it. Claimant agrees the carrier will not be held uh, liable for late payments or something to that effect. Don't ever say zero dollars. It's just, it's never going to get approved by any judge. The case is not worth, the settlement's not worth zero dollars. It's worth your lien waiver. There's no such thing as like a zero dollar section 32. And if you put zero dollars in there, you're asking for the board to disapprove that settlement uh and one of my favorites consider paying up front with a dollar for dollar reimbursement on the back end if the adversary wants their fee so in that example i talked about before there's no fresh money moving right so claimants counsel uh doesn't get their uh chunk of change out of it well what you can put in the third party consent agreement is we're paying ten thousand dollars in fresh money to settle the case which the claimant agrees will be reimbursed on a dollar for dollar basis upon receipt of the third party settlement proceeds boom, your exposure doesn't change at all. They get their $1,500 fee. Uh, Everyone rides off into the sunset happy. So consider manipulating the money around and uh, crafting the consent accordingly to keep your exposure down. All right, global settlement best practices. We're in the home stretch here. Uh, Short webinar this month. Always, always, always have it in writing. Uh, Preferably signed. I like to get claimant's counsel. Uh, Sometimes they won't go for it because they're not a party to the third-party action. But bare minimum, I'm getting that third-party attorney's signature on any consent agreement. I don't want any argument that nobody knows what happens when we start taking the dollar-for-dollar offset. Uh, I want to be able to show something to the board that said claimant consulted counsel on this um your worst case scenario is sending an email that says i consent to the settlement per burns or saying that over the phone is even worse um i strongly recommend having it in writing and actually being a real agreement verify information the before and after closing statements in new jersey they'll be less willing to give these to you uh, as long as you get their costs and disbursements uh, and their attorney's fee uh, you can still figure out your section 40 reimbursement amount pretty reliably And then ask for a closing statement certified at the close of the case uh in new york they should be able to give you a proposed one and the final one after the case is settled why do you want it a second time well your future offset is based on the claimant's net third party settlement so if that number has for some reason changed because there's another medical lien that came through the door or uh you know maybe third party counsel had their fee wrong um uh then you want to be able to revise your consent agreement and i'm actually going to reference that in a moment um stay consistent across both cases the documents mutually reference one another you should be explicit in the 32 about what's happening in the third party action and vice versa know your reimbursement and calculation and offset rights know the kelly calculation in new york and know in new jersey that 750 doesn't come off for expenses of suit automatically it only comes off if their expenses are $750 or more, uh, and it's a one-third reduction for attorney's fee maximum. In uh, large settlements, there's actually a scale down for the New Jer- Jersey rules of court uh, that you can factor in and take the average of the attorney's fee percentage. So uh, just make sure you're conversant in your reimbursement and offset right uh, calculations. Be clear, thorough, explicit, and specific. Uh, I go right down to specifying the penny, like down to the penny, what the claimant or petitioner is getting, and I say exactly how I'm going to apply that offset going forward. The gross amount of any indemnity or medical payable to the claimant shall be deducted on an ongoing basis, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you want to be clear, thorough, explicit, and specific. Why? Any ambiguity is going to be resolved against you by the board. You can you can bet your bottom dollar upon that. So. All right. Uh, Harmonize the timing of both settlements. This is what I was talking about before, where maybe you want to uh, hold some money in escrow, or maybe you want to pay something up front and get reimbursed dollar for dollar afterwards. Uh, Try and marry these two settlements by having self-referential documents uh, or mutually referential documents uh, that will allow everything to proceed without question from the court or the board have backup plans and contingencies uh this is one of the worst things i I see very frequently um they agree to a lien waiver and the carrier doesn't state what their reimbursement would be if there isn't a waiver or how that's going to be paid or when they're supposed to get it you should be very clear that if the 32 is not approved by the board x amount will be released to the carrier within 15 days of the receipt of the settlement funds or whatever time you choose have backup plans addressed in your consent agreement that's very important in my opinion when in doubt reserve your rights if you're questioning whether i should put something in there uh you should probably be putting it in there uh more rights reservations are better uh not less with the sole exception of you cannot reserve dollar for dollar offset rights and also reserve rights per burns uh those are inconsistent Burns says you're paying at the cost litigation rate the only exception being if you've already uh, met the claimant's actual costs of litigation. Uh, make non-compliance equal to revocation. I absolutely love this. Uh, third-party counsel to supply a finalized closing statement filed with the Office of Court Administration uh, within 90 days of conclusion of the suit. 90-day timer starts running. If I don't get that, uh, if I don't get that closing statement back, despite multiple follow-up efforts. And I said in my consent agreement, our consent is not valid if I don't get it. You better believe my next step is filing an RFA with the board to find that the case was settled without my consent. I was very clear about that. Non-compliance equals revocation. I tried. They failed. I want benefits suspended or waived going forward. Uh, and be prepared to walk away, especially in low value cases where loss transfer might be applicable. Um, and watch out for MVA cases. We know about that 50K carve out, which can be problematic. Uh, What do I mean by be prepared to walk away? Settlement's not always the most cost effective option. If loss transfer applies, you're getting dollar for dollar reimbursement from the adverse carrier up to the first 50,000. If you've only paid $5,000 in medical and indemnity, why would you pay $25,000 to settle the case when in reality, your exposure is never going to get anywhere close to that? Um, Really just be prepared to walk away if it's not favorable to you. Uh, It's my opinion, is very seldom settlement at all costs but i know some people may disagree with that all right important takeaways i went slightly over my 15-minute estimate uh serving notice of the intent to subrogate, that's section 292 section 40f can be great leverage even when you may decide not to file the case civil action case dockets have uses far beyond just confirming whether a third-party action has been filed we talked about that investigation Third-party recoveries can be used to drive down the value of the worker's comp claim and bring the claim to the table uh, for a settlement, and waiving your lien is a great way to minimize exposure. All righty, let's see if we have any questions and if I can actually use this software properly if we do. I know I uh, was unable to do it last month, so I apologize to anyone who asked a question. Looks like we're okay on the questions. Let me get back over to the webinar. All right. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Uh, I sincerely hope you'll join us next month uh, for the October edition of the Major Mondays webinar. Have a good one, everybody.